0: The scripture reading today is from the Gospel of John chapter 18. Jesus went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley to a place where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas who betrayed him also knew the place because Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas brought a detachment of soldiers together with police from the chief priests and the Pharisees and they came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that was to happen to him, came forward and asked them, "'Whom are you looking for?' They answered, "'Jesus of Nazareth.' Jesus replied, "'I am he.' Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, "'I am he,' they stepped back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, "'Whom are you looking for?' And they said, "'Jesus of Nazareth.' Jesus answered, "'I I told you that I am he, so if you are looking for me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken, I did not lose a single one of those whom you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's slave, and cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. Am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given me? We are not permitted to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill what Jesus had said when he indicated the kind of death he was to die. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, What is truth? After he had said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no case against him. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection.
1: Gracious God, meet us now, however we find ourselves in this room today. Help us to believe that you have arranged this moment that we have with one another now, that you have something you want us to hear, something you want us to trust. And so give us grace to believe that you see us in all of our contradiction and complexity, and you love us, known and loved. That's what we are by you. Help us to believe that now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So you've accepted Jesus as Savior, but what about as Lord, the evangelist shouted more than one time in my upbringing. (laughs) This dichotomy kind of, this idea that for me just brought me back introspecting on myself because I thought, you know, surely there is a place in my life where I have not submitted to the Lordship of Jesus. I know that I cussed the other day when I struck out my Little League game. That must be the place. So I'm going to go back up and rededicate my life again. Now, that may sound weird to some of you, but if you were raised in an evangelical setting like me, that actually happened quite a bit. And I think we're really, it's kind of an adventure in missing the bigger point. Because, you know, I would hear that, and for me, it just, I just turned it all personal. And in retrospect, that kind of feels a little bit like those evangelists were We're just kind of getting to modify my behavior in ways that they wanted me to modify their behavior. It may not have actually been the gospel. It may have been a lot of control going on in retrospect. If you can connect to that at all, you you have my background probably a little bit. But the thing about talking about Jesus as Lord is that it's so much larger, so much more exciting, so much bigger than just doing personal inventory. I know that my faith should, and your faith should lead you to do personal inventory, but it's so much more than that when we talk about Jesus as Lord. It's a little bigger than me fixing some of the cussing I did on the playground as a kid or whatever other behaviors that need to be modified by all of us. Certainly, those are important, but it goes to a much larger vision that Jesus had and that his followers understood and so I want you to think of these three words today as we think about Jesus as Lord. The word kingdom, which we're going to talk about at different parts of the, in the sermon. The word cross and the word restoration. First of all, kingdom. And when I say kingdom, I'm talking about what Jesus was talking about. Because he was talking about a new arrangement of the world. A new arrangement of the world. But it was also intentional language. Everything that was said of Jesus, Lord, Savior, all those terms, they were also used of someone else, the emperor. And so these are intentional political statements. In fact, I would invite you to start to read your New Testament as a text that's set in the Roman Empire from the time of Augustus Augustus to Domitian and is a provocative countertext challenging imperial propaganda. And when you begin to see that, you can't unsee it as you read the pages of the New New Testament. So when the early Christians would say, Jesus is Lord, it was a dangerous thing to say because everybody else is saying, Caesar is Lord. And to say it could get you killed. Hmm? And so this is a big deal, what's taking place here. Diana Butler Bass says, Jesus was Lord, a kind of alternative Caesar, not one who gave in to Satan's taunting offer of power, but the one who embodied divine authority and had arrived on earth to take back the planet for the Father. Much bigger idea. And the kingdom of God is an alternative arrangement of human society, where sinners are forgiven, where the poor are blessed, where the sick are healed. Where war is abolished, where mercy triumphs over judgment, and love trumps everything. So it's an entirely new arrangement. To say that Jesus is Lord is to to buy into Jesus' agenda of a different way of doing life altogether. And it's an announcement of a new realm altogether coming into play. And this is why we have the story about Peter being read today. Peter who pulls out the sword and, you know, he cuts the guy's ear off. I'd imagine he missed. He was trying to kill the guy. And he cuts off his ear. And what does Jesus do in that moment? It's really important. Jesus says, no more of this. No, 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 no. The realm that I have come to establish is not founded on raw power and enforced by violence. That's the kingdom of this world. Did you see the reading over and over again? My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom, my realm, is founded on love and expressed through forgiveness. Put it away, Peter. That is not what I'm about. The world will be changed by non-coercive love or not at all is what Jesus essentially is telling us. Because what we need is not a king, not a lord with the largest defense budget, but a lord who refuses to play that game. Whose power is not centered in our endless cycles of violence. Who does not mimic the politics of this world, but rather comes as a savior who knows that more violence will never save us from our addiction to violence, which is as old as Cain killing Abel and is destroying us in many ways as a community, as a country, as a world. This and these revolutionary ideas that Jesus taught was so threatening to the status quo of power and violence that it got him put on a cross that it got him put on a cross, a good place to see a new use of Jesus' power, because Jesus on the cross is a damning indictment of the world as it has been arranged around violence and coercive power. So to experience Jesus as Lord, to put yourself in that first century setting with those disciples was to begin to understand that he was talking way a lot more than just, hey, we want you to clean this part of your life up and this part of your life up. He was talking about an entirely new realm, a new way of arranging society. Second thing is it's a new use of power. I've already alluded to that. But Jesus on the cross shows us a new use of power altogether. God did not put Jesus on the cross. Empire put Jesus on the cross. It was a state-sponsored and religiously endorsed lynching, and there is Jesus on that cross, and he's got those the two thieves they've called you know traditionally the two folks that are up there with him, and one of them looks to him and says, "Save yourself." What do you think's going on in his mind? I speculate this: we have seen Jesus, all your power. We've heard about the whole breaking of the bread for 5,000 people, the walking on the water, Lazarus coming back from the dead. You've got power, dude. I don't know what you're forgetting right now, but you could clear all this up pretty easily. Time to kick and take names, right? Time to, get, time to show your power because we, just like this person, we're obsessed with winning and losing. Why are you up there losing, Jesus? But we're obsessed with the winning and losing, the good and the bad, good people, bad people, insiders, outsiders. We love the binaries. They're tidy, but they're not a mark of Jesus' lordship and his realm because Jesus is not a warrior who came to kill all the bad guys. But to use his power in an entirely different way. Because at the cross, we see that Jesus came and showed us how strong God is by voluntarily losing. At that game, at our game. And, and he tried to teach us this by these maddening, very disruptive and destabilizing things to our systems of win lose and of trying to get over on people by saying things like the first have to be last and that the greatest among you will be the, 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 the uh, what is it? The first will be last. If you want to find your life, then you lose it. The greatest will be, must become servants if someone slaps you to off offer the other cheek as well, all of this losing can happen, and it will be okay. Because the source of our worth, the source of our dignity, lies not in the win-lose games we play, but in the fact that you are made in the image of God. And that you are the beloved child of God. And nobody can take that away. That's your truest self. And so you find your identity in that and not in winning. Does that make sense? So Jesus' use of power, very different. I feel like Jesus was always trying to get people to see that about themselves. That they are the beloved. You know, one of my favorite theologians is uh, Ariana Grande. And sure... What's wrong with that? And in one of her songs, it's called Point of View, POV. And she says in this song, as soon as I heard it, I was like, that's, that's the gospel. I know. Stay with me. Some of you are about to get up and walk out. But in the song, she says, I'd, I'd love to see me from your point of view. She's talking about a person who just thinks that she's the greatest. And she's like, I'd love to see me from your point of view. I'd love for you to see you from God's point of view. And it might help us begin to use our power in very different kinds of ways. If we understand ourselves that way. So Jesus... Um, The cross is not what God inflicts on Christ in order to forgive. It is what God in Christ endures as God forgives. And Jesus does it from the cross. Because what does Jesus say from the cross? What does he say to those who are murdering him? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Think about that for just a minute. What do you mean they don't know what they're doing? Jesus is like, yeah, they don't know what they're doing. They're caught up in an entire system of oppression, an entire system that murders those who threaten the status quo. They're caught up in that mob mentality, the scapegoating, the contagion, as Rene Girard calls it. They don't know what they're doing. What systems are you caught up in right now? Are you awake to those things that are maybe driving you and pushing you and creating the anxiety and creating the the tension and creating that vengeance within you? I mean, this is why I think these three friendship series courses we're offering are so incredibly important because they help us to interrogate the ways that we don't know what we're doing. Ways in which we don't realize how we are literally complicit in hurting other people. And how we might do better. See, it's a much more challenging question than just what behavior do you need to change. And Jesus uses his power to forgive and to liberate us from systems of oppression that dehumanize. Father, forgive them. Do you need to hear that today? Jesus looks at people committing deicide and forgives them. Do you think maybe he can see his way through to forgiving you? (laughs) I think so. Because that's how he uses his power. It's a new use of power. They experienced Jesus as Lord with a new arrangement of this world, a new use of power altogether. That's how Jesus rolled with his power, and that is the gospel. God simply keeps reaching down into the dirt of humanity and resurrecting us from the graves we dig for ourselves, from our violence, our lies, our selfishness, our arrogance, our addictions, and God keeps loving us back to life over and over. That's how this Lord uses power. And then lastly, there's a new arrangement of society, of the world. There's new power, new use of power. And lastly, a new life for everyone. That's the word restoration. Jesus goes on story after story using His power to bring healing and new life. So many examples. For example, there's that story about this woman who is in the crowd, and Jesus is wildly popular at this point. Lots of people everywhere. Everybody's listening to him. This court official, this, this person with a lot of power, comes to Jesus named Jairus. You know, my child is dying. Will you please come help my child? Jesus says yes, but he notices somebody has touched him. Remember this story? And there's this woman, and she has um, this physical... Um, uh, 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 malady where she bleeds and so therefore she's unclean and therefore she can't go to worship and therefore her story is is pushed to the side and she's practically erased she's that woman and Jesus stops he's got an emergency on his hand this person's child is dying Jesus stops and looks at the woman and prioritizes her and he will prioritize you as well And it says, especially in the book of Mark's account of this, that he heard her whole story. Put yourself on that spot for just a second. Imagine what that feels like. This woman whose story has never really been told, never been heard, just rumored about. Oh, we'll fill in the gaps for you about what's wrong with you. We know there's probably something you've done wrong, and you probably deserve this, and we're not getting near you. And now, because Jesus has stopped And listen to her. I would imagine people become quiet. And now she gets to tell her whole story. And Jesus is there for it. See? And heals her. And I imagine looks to a very worried Jairus, and it's not in the text, but says, don't worry about it. I got this with your kid as well, okay? (laughs) Who has to be sitting there tapping his toes going... Yeah, I'm glad you listened to her story, but my child, you know. Or there's a story, another one. There's a story where, you know, this uh, a woman is, quote, caught in adultery. And we don't really know the whole story. There's got to be a whole lot more to it than that, I'd imagine, in the patriarchal culture. And they've brought her to Jesus. And you know, Jesus could really do this right now. He could say, you know what? Scripture clearly teaches... In Leviticus chapter 20, verses 10 and 12, that you should be put to death, that's, exa- that's, that's the verse. That's the verse, so yeah, sorry, that's how I'm going to approach this situation. He doesn't do that. And by the way, the verse actually says both adulterer and adulteress should be put to death, but we only have the adulteress here, so I think Jesus is seeing through all of it anyway. But he didn't go that route. I mean, you know the story. He de-escalates it. He slows it down. He knows he's trying to be tricked again by these religious officials. And he does the whole bit about, you know, let those of you without sin cast the first stone. And, of course, the stones drop on the ground. And he looks at the woman and he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Go into a path of liberation. Let's walk in a new way together. This is how Jesus used his power to bring life, especially for people who didn't think they were candidates or eligible for a life of liberation and freedom because of their status, because of the color of their skin, because of the caste system of their day. And perhaps you feel that way today in the caste systems of our day, But Jesus is here to bring new life to everyone. That's how people experience Jesus as Lord in his day. It is less like a top down hierarchy and royalty and more like a beloved community where all are treated as family. I don't mind the, 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 uh, translation of the word uh, basalea to be kingdom because it's subversive of the kingdoms of that day, but make no bones about it. This is not some kind of male-dominated hierarchy that is trying to always use wealth and privilege and power to have it over others like we've seen every other kingdom behave. This is more like a community of kin, which is why the Muharista theologians, the Latinas who center their experience and do theology, have created that term, kingdom? Because it actually much better reflects what Jesus was setting up. A community that's beloved. Where all are siblings, whether we're from the same blood or not. Where your life is wrapped up in my life, your well-being is wrapped up in all of our well-beings, where all of us together Understand that we're connected. That's the kingdom that Jesus established. And that's what he invites us into, the kingdom. And so, at the end of this, we're just going to say, I'm going to round it off here. What kind of questions does this provoke inside of you right now? Jesus is Lord, a new arrangement of this world, a new use of power. A new life for everyone. What are the questions that come up for you out of that? What Lord are you really following? Where and how are you right now using your power and privilege, whatever amount you may have? How might you widen and extend your table of welcome? so that all may know new life. What ways can you learn about and counter systems of oppression? Because just like those people that put Jesus on the cross, we all are caught up in things we know not what we do. How curious can this community of Jesus followers become about those much more difficult, challenging, and liberating questions. Oh boy, we have work to do, but it's exciting work. It's good work. Experiencing Jesus as Lord will have you asking those kinds of questions of yourself because Jesus invites you into the liberation of his Lordship. I'll finish with this quote from Brian Zahn. He says, Once we learn to embody that kind of ethos, we no longer have to grasp for Caesar's scepter. It's enough for us to take the hand of our neighbor. For among Jesus' most radical ideas is this one. To love your neighbor as yourself is a viable political policy. Mm, Let's pray. Gracious God, we, we thank you this morning for the, for the challenge of this text. And it does certainly challenge us to submit our lives to your lordship and to ask hard questions about our behavior, certainly. But it's also an invitation into a much bigger reality. And so help us, we pray, as we are the beneficiaries of your liberating love Help us now to be conduits of that love in this world around us. Give us grace to do that individually and collectively. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.